So, after my last podcast about uh, me leaving the oratory school after 23 great years, um, the last thing that I wanted that ever to do was to sort of give the impression that I didn't enjoy my time at the oratory. It was the most unique, special time that anyone could ever ask for. The people that I worked with, the environment, um, it gave me everything, absolutely everything. We had the best job in the world. So I wanted to do a podcast about, and I've actually been asked to do this by one of the lads at the school. Um, we were in a really unique position at the Oratory, myself and Jonas, that we were, at the time I went there as a 24-year-old, I was a professional sportsman, um, part of the role that we wanted to do, not we had to do, we wanted to do, was get involved in the school. So I, um, so I would get involved with running the school football, um, helping out with school rugby and helping out with school cricket. So what I wanted to do in this podcast was to talk about, let's start at the top, let's talk about the, the, the lads that went through the school that have achieved something in the sporting world or, you know, they, they definitely made an impression on me. Um, and, and I'm just going to go through this and, and just talk about names that, that I remember. Um, I know this is going to lead to other things because I am going to forget names and people are going to say, well, what about such and such? What about such and such? And absolutely, but I, I sort of always want to try and keep my podcasts relatively short because I, I can waffle on quite a bit. So I'm just going to start off with, and I it's the first time since I've been doing podcasts, I've made a, few, a, a, li- a list, put it that way, of names that just spring out straight at me. Um, I'm just going to talk about them and, and, and sort of memories that I have over a 25-year period. Um, so, again, I always like to give a bit of background. Came into the oratory school uh, at 24. My background is the football side of things. Uh, grew up as a kid in Oxford. Um, and Yeah, sport is my thing. Sport is my thing. So, I suppose, and it started off when I was... A kid, a guy by the name of Dennis XL, started me playing football for the local under sevens, and I think I was about four or five. Um, and I can remember one summer, Dennis said to me, I was really good friends with his son Alan. Alan and I played football together. Do you know any lads locally that were good players? And I did. I said, Yeah, I know one lad. Um, and I'll ask if he wants to come training. Um, and I suppose it was my first introduction to talented sportsmen in a way. So it was, a, it was at, the, at the time, was a really good mate of mine, lived across the road. Um, what's the best way to describe him? He was a little fucker, is the best way to describe him. I, my first remembering sort of with him was walking along the road and he just started throwing stones at people's windows and running away and... Just a top lad, top lad. And that lad was a lad called Gary Parker who went on to play, I think Gary played for England. Um, He was definitely um, probably one of the best footballers I'd ever seen. We played in the same, obviously, boys team and what have you. Um, He's just a good lad, really good lad. And, you know, it's, it's good to see Gary's gone on and had a great career. He's played for, let me think, I know he did... 
um, he was at Luton Town. I think he no, he was released from Queens Park Rangers. Went to Luton Town. Went to Hull City. Played for Brian Clough at Nottingham Forest, where he had some good stories. But I won't go into those today. Um, then Gary went to uh, where did he go? Aston Villa. Did he go to Aston Villa and play? Yeah. So. Gary was there. Another lad who sort of grew up around the same time in Oxford was Martin Keown. Um, and again, most of you will know Martin, who played for Arsenal, now does the TV commentary. Um, and I met back with Martin probably about 10 years ago because Martin's son, Niall, who's gone on to play for Reading and played professionally in Scotland, and my Zach played for the same youth team. Um, and again, that... That, that's part of this story is people like Martin Keogh. Reputation, hard, nasty, um, so on and so forth. Martin Keogh is probably as nice a lad as you can possibly meet. Away from the football pitch, very quiet, very respectful. Um, and as a kid, he played at centre-forward for Garsington, a village team. And Martin Keogh used to score 70 goals a year, so... You know, when Martin Keown scored a goal for England or Arsenal, people used to laugh. But as as a kid, that's what Martin was. He was a centre forward. So, um, so they're two great stories. The other story that I need to tell, and I do refer to this lad quite a lot, is a lad called Alan Spires, who out of all of them was probably the best footballer I saw out of the lot. Alan played for England schoolboys at a year under his age. So I think when he was... a 30, 14 year old, he was playing under 15s for England. Um, it was my first and probably only visit to Wembley, I think, was to watch Alan play for England schoolboys. Um, we had a very successful Oxford boys under 15s. We made some, we managed to make it to the semi final of the English schools trophy, which I don't think any Oxford team had ever done. Um, along that, we played against some great footballers. Um, Tony Adams was, for example, play played against Tony Adams, um, David Roadcastle, people like that. We we used to, we play against um, Kevin Keane was another lad who played for High Wycombe, um, who went on and had another great career in football. Um, Robbie Musto, I played in the same team as I noticed that he went on and had a good career as well. Robbie wasn't a great player as a kid, but great went on and had a fantastic career. And there are others as well that I will sort of remember as I, I sort of tell my stories. But so I got into my real tennis, um, real tennis. I was allowed to continue playing for Oxford United in the reserves, started at the real tennis club. And obviously the real tennis got more and more. The football got less and less. And, you know, to this day, I'm very, very honest that I wasn't good enough. I got chucked out of Oxford as a, what, 18, 19 year old, I could have gone on trial to other places. I wasn't good enough. And I, I've never, never fallen away from that fact. So I, I didn't want to work for my old man who was the butcher. So I had to get a job in sport. Job came up in real tennis. It was a bit, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Then this job came up at the oratory school. I was about four or five years in. And the beauty of the job at the real tennis job at the oratory school, it was working in a school but I was asked to obviously get involved with, with school sport. So for me, the main one was football, which went from the school 
very much rugby orientated school, but the boys all loved football. But from September through till Christmas, it was rugby. From January through till Easter, it was football. It was it was very much the second class game. But if you ask most boys, they probably it catered for more boys to to play football. Um, so me going there, ex professional footballer, growing up. You know, comprehensive school kid going to a private school thinking, well, it's going to be pretty shit. Um, Very naive, wasn't I? Um, We got these lads for eight weeks of the year and we could train every day from two till four, basically. And we played on a Wednesday and we played on a Saturday. Um, And yeah, I'm just going to sort of talk through some of the people that I came across in that time. the first thing I want to do, though, is talk about the, the school system itself. The school system um, very much produced rugby players. It definitely can produce cricketers. It uh, wasn't known for producing footballers. Private schools didn't produce footballers in those days. Um, we produced a few in the end, and I'll name some of those. Um, but just when I went there, you had um, John Dukes, this guy was a legend he was an absolute legend very funny stories that John Dukes wouldn't come into the real tennis court though because he didn't believe that real tennis should have been built in a private school he felt that money should have been spent on other parts of the school so he absolutely detested the idea of real tennis in his school Um, but he was great he said look Mark I don't respect real tennis as a sport building you know we could have spent the money in other places totally respected that but with me as a person absolutely fantastic so I used to do the training with Dukesy Paul Tomlinson who was the art master um, Tomo was a good sportsman himself um, good all-round sportsman so between the three of us to start with we ran the football for oh, 20 plus years and in that time also I worked with Ian Jordan, who came to the school slightly later. Geordie and I ran the school first team. Um, but just we just had good fun. We used to go out every day. Um, and we, we just used to have great fun with the boys. They loved their football. We were so, so lucky. So um, to those guys, uh, Paul Keddy was a housemaster. So Ked's used to run the rugby but he'd come out and get involved in the football as well um and yeah I suppose every every day for that we used to I used to leave the real tennis court up past one used to go down um and obviously when I was a 20 24 year old you know I could join in um just great times really really good times um and yeah so I've sort of I'm going to split the story into two really. I'm going to split the story into the boys that obviously went on and achieved a lot in the sporting world, and then I'm going to go through. I've got a list here of other lads that I remember from the school, sort of, um, and I'm going to maybe slightly differently. They they were they were lads who just for whatever reason stayed in in my head definitely. Um, so g- going through the years, as I say, the, the lads that I grew up, great sportsmen, got to the private school, thought this is going to be um, 
just not very good. And and how wrong I was, how completely wrong I was. Um, it was a tough environment. These lads used to get into school for eight o'clock. They used to leave their lessons at seven o'clock at night. They would be in school playing sport on a Saturday afternoon. They would, you know, they work hard and play hard and they, they just fit strong, uh, great work ethic. Um, and you can see why it produced players. And listen, I'm talking on the sports field. I'm sure it's produced people in other areas. So some of the lads I'm going to talk about to start with are actually not footballers. They were rugby players. Now, some of those rugby players would play football with me. They were super talented. So lads I remember, lads like Andy Vilk and Ben Pegner. Now, these, these two lads were really interesting for me. They played for the school first 15 at rugby. They weren't probably within the best few players of that year. I think Ben, for example, I don't even think in the lower six made the school first 15. Um, But it just shows you the type of lads you're dealing with that both of them went on to play professional rugby. Uh, I'm not sure to what level or what clubs. I know Andy Vilk played in, I think, the equivalent of the Premiership. And I think Andy played for England sevens. Um, then I think he ended up coaching in Italy. So fantastic. Ben, I've I've had a lot more dealings with since he's left school. I I stay in contact with Ben. Um, We've done a little bit of work together. Hopefully in the future we can do a little bit more. Um, And again, these lads joined in and played football as well. But rugby was their first love, but they came and, um, and did the best they could with the football. And there's one lad who was my goalkeeper, Iola Arinley. Now, Iola was, um, I think Iola played for Wasps. Um, I'm going to get corrected on all this stuff because I'm, I'm going to get things wrong. I haven't looked up facts and figures. Was a fantastic goalkeeper. Absolutely brilliant. But this lad was what? What was he? About six foot four, six foot three. Played, I think he played as a centre or a winger at rugby. Um got to have been 16 17 stone but what an absolutely smashing lad gentle um caring uh, and Iola actually lived local to the school as well so we got to know him really really well so they're, they're you know those those are the sort of lads that went on and had great careers in in rugby um and it was a real privilege to see to see, I used to love going to watch the rugby, the school rugby. There's something about it I found um, because I didn't know the game so well. It was something that, you know, every Wednesday or Saturday, I'd, if it was rugby term, I'd always go and watch the rugby matches. Not not just the first team, but all levels. I used to love watching school rugby. Um, but football was my main thing. That That was the thing that we sort of really worked hard. It was a really strong fixture list. For example, the first fixture I turned up to Harrow School, um, which was where I got to know David Ellery, who was the football referee. Um, Harrow School, for example, the first fixture we had at Harrow School, one of the goalposts, the crossbar, was bent in the middle. Some of the kids have been swinging. So I, I don't know what a goalpost should be. 10 foot, um, and in the middle it was about six foot. No nets, um, and this just showed you 
how uninterested were the, the top private schools were totally uninterested in football. Turned up to Harrow School 24 months later, they had a state-of-the-art running track. Um, they had Premier League quality football pitch and apparently some overseas gentleman had paid for his son's school fees by paying £8 million to produce the best sports fields they could. And they had AstroTurf football pitches and Harrow really, really got into football in a big way. Um, scholarships were offered. We used to go to Mill, uh, not Millwall, used to go to Millfield. And Millfield used to give scholarships to local lads. Um, and if you look through now, a lot of good footballers have come through the Millfield system. Um, and I think we were lucky. We were one of the only other schools that Millfield played against. We could compete with them at all levels. First team was difficult. Um, we used to get turned over big time. So... Um, yeah, Mill Millfield was a different kettle of fish and, and it was more or less professionally run. But it was the fixture I looked forward to because it was, um, yeah, that, they, were, they were a professional football club. They used to play against other academies. And each year we would, I always thought each year I would have probably five or six boys that would pick themselves in the school first team and then I could have chosen from the other... Um, the other 20 boys, it wouldn't really have mattered who I picked. But every year I had, I would say, four or five good footballers in a team. But we had one special year, or two years, I should say, where we had um, the odd season we'd go unbeaten. Um, and, you, you know, some years you'd be stronger than others. But there was one particular age group that was, was very strong. Um, the school was split into two. You used to have the junior house department. Um, the junior house was run by a guy called Pat Thomas. Pat Thomas was probably about six foot four. Um, and I used to go and do the under 14s Bs with Pat. Um, and Pat would be the first to say that he wasn't the most gifted sportsman, but probably in all my time in school sports, I've never, ever ever seen anyone so passionate about his team and it was a complete pleasure to work with the guy probably never told him at the time um but how how i don't know he, he was just an inspiration put it that way the guy was an in but he used to look after junior house junior house was from i don't know from probably uh, the boys were were 11 to 13 before they went into the main school and the junior house was very close to the sports centre. Um, and we used to get the boys come over quite a lot. And, you know, they'd be homesick and we'd get to know them quite well. And there was this one little lad that really did stand out, that he was a real cheeky little lad, very cheeky, um, mischievous. But I, I like kids like that. Um, I used to play him at squash. He'd always think he could play squash and... He's probably his best sport in my eyes was cricket. Um, he was a good little footballer too. He wasn't great. He wasn't particularly quick, but he wasn't a, a, a great footballer, but he was all right. Um, loved his rugby, but probably cricket was the standout sport for him. And I got to know this little lad really well. He only stayed in school for a couple of years. Um, 
And this was a lad that you'll probably, if you're rugby, you'll know. It was a lad called Danny Cipriani, um, who's gone on to have a fantastic career. Obviously, when these lads play on the telly, I watch them. Um, what's Danny now? He, he's probably around the 30 years of age. Um, so, yeah, we used to... Um, I used to go and sort of do a bit of coaching with Junior House and he would get involved. And he, yeah, good player, but Danny was Danny. was Danny. He was, he was not the most popular kid in school because he used to drive the teachers. He, do you know what's really interesting? The kids who have all achieved that I'm going to talk about all were pretty much the same. You know, the, the teachers would struggle with them. They had a little bit of an edge to them. Um, does that tell us something about, we could talk about Gary Parker chucking stones at windows. You know, all these lads who have been good at sport have all got something a little bit different to them. Um, and I'll come back to Danny in a bit because we tried to get him involved with Reading Football Club and so on. Um, and I think the next group of lads, the three lads I'm going to talk about, were the year below. Um, they all came into the school in the third form. Some have been in the junior house. And in this one year group, I've got, there wasn't just three good sportsmen. There were probably, there were probably about six or seven. It was exceptional year. So I'd had Danny Cipriani. And in this next year group, my first introduction was them with Pat Thomas with the rugby. Um, I had a lad called Dan House, Danny Housego. Um, a lad called Alex Pierce and the next one was a lad that I've known because I worked with his dad for 25 years was Benny Howe now Benny I'd known since he was 18 months old so I sort of you know you, you I had more of a, a connection with this age group because I'd known Benny and his brother Nick I'm going to talk about as well so within this one year group you've got these three exceptional lads and, I, and I'm just going to sort of talk as it comes to me, as I sort of remember these lads. At the time, the one outstanding one was a lad, Danny Housego. Danny was on Oxford United's books. He was with the Middlesex Cricket Academy. The story that came back to me that this lad could probably play for Oxford United age 16, he was that good. Um, he was a left winger, he was quick. Um, yeah, and he was good. You know, he, he did all the things. He was quick, he was fast, he was skillful. He was a nice lad as well. He wasn't particularly big, um, but you knew, even from that age, that that lad's passion was his cricket. Um, he would talk about his cricket. Uh, football was, yeah, he enjoyed it, but cricket was his thing. Um, so he... Dan's story, he made the decision, which he had to do. He had to, um, and he went down the cricket line and he went on and he had a good cricket career. He played for Middlesex, went to Gloucestershire. And since he's retired from cricket, he set up his own cricket academy. And I have stayed in contact with Dan, haven't spoke much in the last few years, but I think he's got a thriving cricket business um, where he's coaching. Again, one of life's really good people. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know Danny's. I think mum, who would bring him into school, didn't know. But I, I actually got to know 
the parents of Alex and and Danny Housego and obviously Benny's mum and dad I knew really, really well. But what was the what I do remember from all these people was how well they were guided, their parents. Um I'm gonna talk about Alex Pierce in a minute, because to me that's a special story. Um but it was the background, they had good schooling, tough but they also had great guidance from good parents. Um, and I, you know, this is something I believe strongly in for sports people. So they had great schooling, great housemasters, teachers, discipline, um, and, and great um, parenting as well. Uh, which brings me on to Alex Pierce. Um, Alex came into the third form, he came from, in fact, most of these lads came from Molesford Prep School, I know Danny Housego did, um, so Alex came into school, I knew he'd been on Oxford United's books where I'd played, and I'd heard that Reading had signed him, um, so did he look like a sportsman? Not really, even from a young age, he was, he was cheeky, he was um, confident, um, but I had no problem at all with him. I sent him in once from training in all my time, um, and he came and apologised to me at night in the sports centre. That was the only crossword I ever had with the kid. He was decent, he was, um, but he wasn't the most gifted. Why I like this story so much compared with others that I've seen, this lad was not the most gifted. He was a good footballer. I wouldn't say he was a great footballer compared to other people that I've seen, and I'll talk to you about those in a minute. But this lad was not that gifted. Um, But even from the age of 13, he knew what he could do. He knew what his limitations were. His job was to win the ball and give it to other people, and he had that at 13 years of age. He also had his dad behind him, who I believe made him a professional footballer. Um... Was I'd heard stories that instead of Alex, when he went to Reading, he didn't go and live in Reading. He stayed at home with his mum and dad. He was well grounded. He was he was just he had an older brother Charlie, so I sort of had dealings. I'll, I'll <laughs> a quick story, and I will digress quite a lot here. Is Charlie was the school football captain, was a good centre half himself. Um, and we went away and played at Wellington, um, Wellington College. Um, I can remember it really clearly. Anyway, so Charlie's dad had brought Alex over. Alex was a in the third form. I'd never... We sometimes moved the lad up from the fifth form to play. In If they were that good, we would move them from fifth form to play in the school first team. Um, and I can remember we were away at Wellington one day. Alex was on the side of the pitch. Sorry, phone was ringing there. Um, so, yeah, sorry, interruption from my phone call. Um, Alex was on the side of the pitch, and what happened? That's thrown me a bit, that one. Uh, yeah, that, that we were down... We were down to 10 men for whatever reason, injuries or whatever. So I said to Alex's dad, 
were you all right if I put your son on? He said, yeah, go for it. So Alex played for the school first team at Wellington as a, what was he, 13, 14 years of age. So we stuck him on. Um, and he played. And even at that, you know, you, you couldn't phase him. You know, he's playing against 18-year-olds. And he wasn't out of place. And he enjoyed it. And, you know, hopefully he respected me. I respected him. Um, but it just went to show that, that lad went to Reading. He he was probably not the best apprentice that they got, but from what I'd heard, he was the first in. He was the last to leave. And I am convinced that that was his schooling that made him a professional footballer. He had great work ethic. I got to know the lads at Reading Football Club really well because I, I used to send a few kids there. Um, go back to the Danny Cipriani story. So the Reading coach, because we used to train between two and four every day. So the Reading football coaches obviously had no one to coach during the day because they work with the kids who are all still in school. So the so two Reading coaches used to come over and work with the school kids with me. Um, and there were two. And one of them particularly, I remember he said to me one, he said, have you got any good kids? And I said, yeah, I've got a lad, left-footed, plays in junior house, have a look at him. And this was Danny Cipriani. So he went, Danny went off to train with their academy as a 12-year-old, and the coach came back and said, yeah, look, he's all right, but he's not quite up to the level that we've got. Um, now, this coaching himself was not a very tall lad, Um but absolutely fantastic. This lad used to come in, have a cup of tea, and then he'd go out and do the coaching with me. But he didn't want to coach the first team. He wanted to coach junior house. He wanted to coach the third form C team. And that was made up with lads who had never played football before. And he was absolutely fantastic with these kids. And we got on really well. Became quite good friends at the time. Um, I haven't seen him for a long time. And he was only tw 28 years of age, this lad was. Um, and he would, he, would, uh, he would do the training and so on and so forth. Um, and this lad used to come for about, about a three-year period. A lot of it was so they could keep an eye on Alex Pierce. Um, Reading also came to look to put an American lad in school and they just wanted us to produce the same sort of lad as Alex Pierce. Uh, a well-rounded lad. So, you know, there were some good contacts between Reading and, and ourselves. Another lad that I had that I said to the coach, I said, look, I've got a goalkeeper, um, Macaulay, who, you know, I was a goalkeeper. This lad was head and shoulders above me. Um, he was phenomenal. Um, I'm still in contact with him today. He's now, what, 35, got his own family. It just, he wasn't tall enough. But if he would have been a six-foot-two goalkeeper, he would have played Premier League football. I'm convinced of it. I'd never seen such an athletic kid. So I used to take the lads that we got, some good ones. Um, I used to take them training. And we used to train with Reading's first team, sometimes the goalkeepers. Um, they used Because of that, they used to bring the, the academy. Reading Academy used to come and train at the oratory. So we built up a really good relationship. It was quite hard for me because any talented kids that I got... I sent them to Reading rather than to Oxford. We had, you know, Oxford at the time. I had one of their coaches came in. I'm not going to name the bloke, but he was useless. 
Um, and I had no respect for them as a club at this stage and Reading just did things properly but it was quite hard to, to send kids to Reading rather than Oxford um, but going back to the coach the coach was a lad by the name of Brendan Rogers, who if you like your football you know on Brendan was spotted by Chelsea as a coach he went to work for Mourinho um, and the rest is history as they say um, but what a top bloke absolute class act from day one so it's great for me you know to see people like Alex Pierce. Alex went on to play for Reading I think he captained Reading at 20 he went on to Derby County I think he's now the club captain at Millwall uh, my own son who went on to play football Alex was good enough to sit down with him and, and talk to him um, just a super lad so for me I think Alex out of all the stories of the kids at the oratory is probably the best one because I, I just think it just went to show what you could do with a limited amount of talent. Don't get me wrong, the boy had talent, but he wasn't the most gifted footballer I've ever seen. So to me, the Alex Pierce story is probably a podcast in itself, to be honest, and maybe I will do that one day. Um, and the other lad, the, the third one of the trio... And probably the most entertaining one was a lad called Benny Howe. Now, I'd worked with Jonas for 20-odd years. I'd known Benny since he was 12, 14 months old. Um, and he had an older brother called Nicky as well. Both really, really good sportsmen, super talented sportsmen, good all-round sportsmen. Um, but they obviously lived on site. They were in the real tennis court during the holidays. So I got to know these two boys really well. Um, what you probably don't know about Benny Howe, how good a footballer he was as well. Um, he used to play centre forward for the school first team, scored lots of goals. But I used to watch Benny playing goal in the gym at night, at 10 o'clock at night. He was never at home. He'd be in the gym playing football. Um, I don't think I've ever told him this. How good a goalkeeper was Benny Howe? Um, so now I watch him in the field for Gloucestershire. I feel he should play cricket for England at 2020, definitely. Um, I'm not a cricket expert, but everyone tells me how good he is. I've watched him a few times. Um, I'm still in contact with him. I, you know, I, I watch him on social media now. He's a dad and just love him being a dad and, you know, to, to, to watch him grow up and become such a... He's done some charity golf days for me. Um Special guy, really, really special guy. Him and Nicky and his dad, Jonas, obviously, we're all really close. Very, very special people. But the Benny story with his cricket is worth telling, that he couldn't get in county teams or area teams because he didn't do things correctly. He didn't have the correct elbow position or he didn't quite do this or he didn't quite do that, but he scored runs. You know, oh, yeah, but your, your coaches, I think he played for Oxfordshire or Berkshire, and when you this is this is a great story. When you got coaches who don't, they're not coaches. They're they're school teachers or blokes that like cricket, and they become they pick the kids. They pick the kids. Benny couldn't even get in a team, okay, because he he didn't do things correctly. Benny is a unique character. Um, I think probably the funniest thing I've ever seen in all my school time was. Benny Howell on a football trip to Malta. Um, Ian Jordan said, right, boys, you've got exams when we get back from the, the school trip. You've all got to do 
you work in the hotel room, you've all got to be at two o'clock and you've all got to start doing your prep for your exams. Benny Howe puts his hand up and said, sir, but I don't start until such and such a date. And Geordie said, well, Benny, you've got to start now. And Benny said, no, I don't do it. I've got the date in mind when I'm going to start revising. Until then, I'm not doing it. And that sort of summed Benny up. Always late for the school bus. I said, leave him, but they wouldn't let me. Um, Drove the teachers up the wall, absolutely up the wall. And the funniest thing was that, obviously, I worked with his dad. And whenever the phone went from his housemaster... Andrew Wilson, it used to flash up, you know, Norris Housemaster. Um, and Jonas would just say, Mark, answer the phone. Tell him I'm not here. He didn't want to know because he knew if it was his housemaster, Benny had done something wrong. He'd not turned up. He'd not done this or he'd not done that or he'd forgotten this or he'd forgotten that or whatever. And he used to drive teachers up the wall. And, you know, dad used to be obviously... I had it later in life with my own son going into school and school teachers talking about your own son. And I don't want to know if he's a pain in the ass, my own son, deal with him, you know, stop him playing football, stop him doing this. You know, he's a school kid. You deal with him. But they skies in there, you know, moan, moan, moan. And it was it was so funny to watch Jonas and Benny. But the interesting thing for me with Benny was that he couldn't play county cricket under 14s, 15s because he didn't do things correctly. Um, but Hampshire Cricket Club saw something in Benny as an opening batter and they used to come up each week and train him and do all this sort of thing. The kid was scoring heaps of runs for the school, but because he didn't do things technically correctly, you know, it just shows you the bullshit that's in kids' sport. So it was great. Very strong mind. Benny Howell has got the strongest mind of anybody I've ever seen play sport um, from the age of 12 months. You know, you couldn't get him out at cricket. He, He just had an unbelievable mind. So to see Benny go on and have a phenomenal cricket career, um, I think he's still as unorganised as he ever was. But, you know, I watch his stuff with him as a dad and and seeing him with his own son now makes me really, really proud. So, yeah, special guy, special. And then Nick, his older brother. Nick, in his own right, has been... A fantastic sportsman, really good footballer at school. Um, the downside, they all support Everton as a family, but unfortunately, Dad put that. I think that's, you know, how can you have a father put that onto their own kids? They're all mad keen Everton supporters. Um, Nick was good at cricket as well. Uh, good rugby player. Nick was, I, I always thought Nick was an exceptional rugby player. Um, different to Benny, very different, more highly strung. Um, great to see Nick is now I did get involved with Nick when he left school Nick wanted to be a golf pro worked really hard um, and I went on a couple of occasions and watched him Um, golf was I thought golf was always a tough sport for Nick because Nick liked people he liked being you know on on a rugby pitch or a football pitch he he, he would get quite angry Um, but in a golf, you know, golf is so mental, so, so mental. But good golfer, fantastic ball striker. Um, but I think Nick got to his mid-twenties, realised he probably, the golf wasn't for him, got into his real tennis. And now what? Nick's in the top four in the world at real tennis. Uh, even today, I've had a message from Nicky how we were talking. Um, again, top, top lad, Nicky. When he was a, 
I don't know, an eight, nine-year-old. I used to chuck him out the building at Real Tennis. Um, he'd get stroppy and I used to just chuck him out the building. Um, but yeah, he'd come back and, you know, he never held it against me or anything like that. So yeah, good lads, top, top lads. And as I say, Nick with his Real Tennis, nothing would give me greater pleasure than seeing him go on and become a world champion in his sport. Um, while I'm sort of on the lines of sport in school, we also obviously used to get other schools come in. And I talked about Alex Pierce but not being the most gifted. I'm now probably going to talk about the boy that was the most gifted. We were a Lent term soccer school, so we used to play against other schools in the Lent term. But then you would get soccer schools like Charterhouse that were two terms football, Millfield, and obviously they had better footballers. And I can remember one Sunday, we used to run the Lent term soccer schools and we would play against, so it would be about 10 schools, pick the best players and they would play against the, the, the other private schools. And this team turned up one day, under 15s, and this lad would, this lad was playing. There were two. There was a Chinese lad and this other lad. And this, I refereed it. I don't know. I, I used to referee games at the time. Um, and it was, this lad just did things with a football that I couldn't believe. And I'm, and I never, I never could understand what the story was. And I asked someone, what, who's the lad who's played in midfield for you? And they said, oh, such and such, such and such name. And I never thought anything of it. But I always remember this kid being so good. It was untrue. It was like, as I say, go back to the Gary Parkers and the Martin Keowns. This lad was, again, another level. It was, it was, it was. Anyway, so and you just think, how private school? Mm, not really. Anyway, super lad, very tall for his age, very tall, but. What he could do with the football, I, I couldn't imagine at that time. Anyway, about six or seven years later, I'm sat watching the World Cup and I'm watching South Africa against Denmark. Peter Schmeichel's in goal and this kid has rattled the crossbar from 40 yards. And it was the same lad. And it was a lad called Quinton Fortuna. I'm not sure if I've said that right, but Quinton Fortuna was playing for South Africa against Denmark in the World Cup. Um, so I, I did a little bit of research. And what it was that when Paul Gascoigne had left Spurs, the story goes that Spurs invested a lot of that money into Quinton Fortuna. He was brought over from South Africa with his parents and he was put into Lansing School, which I think is Brighton area. Um, so it wasn't your average schoolboy at all at the time that this lad was um, brought over. Um, and I think it turned out that he couldn't get a work permit or whatever. So he'd, he'd obviously gone away. I think someone said he'd, he'd then signed for Inter Milan and what have you. Um, but... He then went on and played left back for Manchester United, but it just shows you the long story to, to, to get in there. Um, I don't think he was seen as that good a footballer at Manchester United. Good footballer, but not that good. But he, I have to say, out of all the kids I've seen, he was the one that stopped me in my tracks and went, that's different. And I will never forget that. I can I can sort of, it must be, it must be probably 20 years ago or more that, 
20, 25 years ago. We'll never forget that day. It was Sunday afternoon, March time, um, and this kid was seriously, seriously impressive. Um, so, sort of that, that sort of of the, of the of the talented kids. The only other one that I probably should talk about, which I think is a really good story as well, is is and I'll be honest, is my own son, um, Zach's mum and I split up when Zach was four, but Zach came to live with me. Zach wanted to come to the oratory school because he he wanted the sport and what have you. So um, it was. You know, it's a story in itself. I've told the story. Zach came to live with me full time from the age of 12. So Zach did the first year, and I always, to this day, think it's a good thing. He didn't go to the prep school. He went to the local village primary school, which I think was great. Um, and for the from the age of 11, Zach went to a comprehensive school in Oxford called Cherwell. Um, and he did a year at Cherwell. I used to go there. I could see the facilities and what Zach used to get at Cherwell to what he would have had at the oratory. And this sums it up best for me. Zach went to a comprehensive school in Oxford and he played a few games of football and it was pretty much a waste of time. Um, Zach came to the oratory and within 11 days of being at the oratory school, he played more competitive sport in 11 days than he did in the whole year at his comprehensive school in Oxford. 11 days, that was, what did he do? He did badminton, he played squash, he played some rugby. Um, He'd done more competitive sport in his first 11 days of the oratory school as a 12-year-old than he did in the whole year at Cherwell School, but do, doing that um, at Cherwell School was was a great thing, but Zach was really lucky because he would come to the school with me on a Saturday and he'd be there, I remember him sliding down the bank in the mud and everything, and the lads were really good with him, I took Zach on school ski trips when he was eight or nine, so he was part of the school anyway. Um, Zach, as a footballer, I wouldn't say was a great footballer. He was good. There were certain things he did really, really well. He had really good vision. He could pass a football. He had a good football brain, but he wasn't very quick. Um, And what we decided with Zach, because he would obviously be late at school all week, he couldn't go and train, um... And he pl- the only thing Zach decided to do, and it was quite tough for a kid like that, and this is where I admire all these lads with their sport, is that they would be playing basically seven days a week. So I said to Zach, look, you're playing rugby on a Saturday afternoon. Do you want to play football on a Sunday for the village team? And he said, yep, he did. So he played for Marston. He then played for Summertown. And I think Summertown folded or no, that's right. We were half an hour. So we had to find another team. And he went to Radley. Um, and that's not Radley College, that was the village of Radley. Zach went to play for Radley. Now, they said, yep, you can play, but Zach couldn't really even get... A, he was sub. He, you know, it was 11 aside, he was under 12, and he was very stiff in the hips, Zach. Um, and it worked out that, because of my knowledge of the body and sport, and everything, it worked out Zach had got really flat feet, so we got him inner soles in his shoes... He started to be able to move better. 
Um, and he played for Radley school t- uh, for Radley Sunday football team. That's another story in itself. Kids Sunday football. Um, but I wouldn't say Zach was exceptional. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't exceptional at all. Um, but he, you could see there were certain things he could do quite well. And he kept saying, Dad, Dad, I want to play football. I want to be a professional footballer. I said, Zach, you're not quick enough. Get your education. Play other sports. So he started playing rugby and he got into cricket. He was a good cricketer. He's a good golfer. But he played rugby. And to be honest, at the start with rugby, he was a bit of a chicken. He didn't like tackling. And all of a sudden, Zach started to like to tackle at rugby. Um, so I'm convinced kids playing lots of sports is always a good thing for any kid out there. Play as much different sport as you can. So all of a sudden, Zach started to like to tackle. And then all of a sudden, you started to see Zach on a football pitch liking a tackle, liking winning the ball in the air, um, liking the physical contact side of it. And this is where I admire my Zach. And I have told him, but probably not to this degree, that... Um, Zach, at the age of 14, kept going, Dad, I want, to be, I want to play football. Dad, why is such and such getting a trial for Oxford? I'm better than him. Why aren't I get? I knew that certain kids that were getting trials for Oxford United were never going to make it. All right? I could name names now. One particular kid. I knew he had pushy parents. He wasn't that good. And Zach was frustrated because this kid was getting a trial and he was telling everyone he was going to Oxford and he was getting the kit. It's total bullshit. I could see kids coming to Reading Academy. I could see kids coming to Oxford United. I could see kids, you know, I can tell you pretty much if that kid's got anything about them. Um, And I don't like football clubs because I think they should be honest with kids and tell them that they're not good enough and they're not going to make it. Okay, you can tell. You can look at a kid. You can look at the background on the whole and you pretty much know. Okay, and I think what football teams do, and this is a fact, that there'll be one really good kid in that age group and all the other 20 other kids are just there to make up numbers so this other kid can develop. It's got a lot better. To be fair, it's got a lot better. Did I want Zach to go into that system? No. Could he have gone to Reading? He did. He went to Reading for a trial. Um, I knew the guys at Reading. And I said, you know, you know, he's not coming there. He's going to school and you're not having him on a Saturday morning because that would have meant maybe taking him out of school. And I knew Zach wasn't good enough. What I didn't know when Zach got to 14 or 15, not behind me back, but off his own bat, Zach wrote to every football league club in the South and asked for a trial. And I never knew that. I never, ever, ever knew that he'd done it. You know, he's not the most articulate, but he sat down. Uh, I don't know if he did it with his mates at the oratory one night. And he wrote to every football league club. Um, and only two replied. Okay? And that's that's what it is. You know, who, the, Zach had never even played for his county team. You know, go back to the Alex Pierce story. Alex never, couldn't even get in the mid-Oxford team at 15. All right? So it just shows you. So if you're a kid and you're not making it at 14, 15, don't worry about it. But Zach... Didn't even play in the county team. He'd never played under floodlights. Um, and he wrote to every football club asking for a trial. Um, the one I thought was the funniest was, I'm sure it was, was it Wimbledon or Barnet? I think it was Barnet. Barnet said, yeah, come for a trial. Um, but it's going to cost you £10. Well, that was like a red rag to a bull to me. Um, so I phoned him up. 
and I told them exactly what I thought to them. Why would you want to charge a kid a tenner for a trial? You know, is it a money-making exercise? Um, so that sort of sums me up a little bit. I don't like to see kids taken advantage of. I don't like to be seeing kids giving false hope. So the only other one that replied to Zach was Hereford United and said, yep, come up and you can have a trial. And this was at the time I was leaving the oratory school. And I, I sort of looked at this and thought, I don't really... Hereford, three hours away, worst place on earth to get to. But you know what? If your son has had the balls to write to every football league club and ask for a trial, it would be pretty, pretty tough to turn that down. So I took Zach, this little story, I took Zach up to Hereford. Zach had a trial. He wasn't particularly great compared with the other kids, but the two coaches said there's something about him that we like. And I'm convinced to this day, again, it was the oratory schooling that they liked. The fact that we'd made the effort, the fact they'd written to them, um, the fact that Zach was very strong-willed. He would look people in the eye when he talked to them. Um, he, would be, he wouldn't be walked all over. I can remember him saying he'd had a stand-up argument, nose-to-nose with his coach which I know from the football world, that's what they're looking for. Someone who can stand their ground. And Zach went on. Um, all the other kids had been there since they were young. Um, it turned out that it wasn't with Hereford in the end. It was with Cheltenham Town. But um, yeah, that that was my own son. Um, and, I, and I, as I say, that's if it wasn't for the oratory school, would Zach be in that situation? No, he wouldn't have been. Um, what will he do with his sport now? I don't know. I've just looked at the time here. I've waffled for nearly an hour. Um, I'm going to go through some other things pretty quickly here, but I, I can see that this is another podcast in itself. I'm going to talk about Tomo's two boys, uh, James Tomlinson, Stephen Tomlinson. Um, they were super talented sportsmen at school. Um, Stephen now works at the school. He's head of PE. Out of all the kids, I'm to this day convinced he was the best young cricketer I've ever seen. Um, Stephen went to Glamorgan. Um, was he strong enough mentally? Professional sport is very much about mental. You know, it's not all about ability. When you look at your Alex Pierces, Andy Vilks, um, these guys, not the most gifted, but between the ears, they were 10 out of 10. Um but I say, yes, yeah, Stephen with a cricket bat, whether it be bowling or batting, I'm no cricket expert. But to me, he was always the 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 best cricketer. Um, other stories, Tom Hewlin, who worked for us. Tom, bless him, not the greatest footballer, worked with us in the sports centre, but Tom's now the first team fitness coach at Forest Green Rovers. I spoke to Tom yesterday. Um what other names come out to me? Um, another great story was a lad called Paul Knox, um, who, Knoxy, little boy, never could get in any teams, came, was probably the best I've seen. Uh, Football-wise, great footballer. I'm going to run out of time in the next five minutes, so I'm going to probably do a part two to this. I think that's the best way I can do it to be fair, because I have got some other good stories on people and it would be wrong to sort of cut it off short. So 
This is going to be part one of my oratory school talent. Um, yeah, I've got Clive, Sir Clive Woodward's boys were at the oratory. Uh, Joe and Freddie, great lads, talented boys as well. Sir Clive, what a great bloke he was. Um, unassuming, he gave some talks at the oratory school. So I'll talk more about that. Um, I can't believe where an hour's gone, where I've waffled this from. But um, I'm going to end it here. I will come back with part two to this story. So, um, yeah, any questions you've got on these guys, um, I will talk more about it. But what I will say at the end of this, part of Zem Sports where I want to, I'm going to look to, we're going to set up an agency. I don't like the words a sports agent. Um, but we're going to look to set up helping probably more underprivileged kids, if you like. The 14-year-old who hasn't got the, the great parents, hasn't got the great school, you know, he's a single, he's a part of a single parent family. Who's advising him? You know, I know agents make decisions for agents, not for the person involved. So that's something I'm going to be looking to do myself. Um, if you listen to this and it's something you want to get involved with, talk to me about it as well, because I'm looking to set this up uh, just with my experiences over the years. Um, I think I think I've got a lot of experience to offer. Um, I deal with a lot of lads who are footballers now in my business. So we're we're talking at looking at setting up at helping young sports people along the way. Um, to be honest, it's been an absolute privilege to work with all of these lads. An absolute privilege from my own son right the way through. Um, very humbling, very humbling. So I'm going to leave it there. I look forward to talking about part two in the oratory school. Probably more about the characters. I've seen some phenomenal characters over the years. So thank you for listening and um, we'll speak soon.